0: Donald Trump called him tough. Rush Limbaugh read one of his articles live on his radio show. Ann Coulter tweeted that article to her one and a half million followers and declared, every sentence is perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, your host, former chief editor of the Jewish Press, Elliot Resnick. Welcome to the Elliot Resnick Show.
1: With us today is Avi Cement, an inspirational speaker, the author of Real Questions, Real Answers, and an all-around great guy. Avi, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, Eli. Great to be here.
1: Before we get to you, let's speak about your father, if you don't mind. He was, if I'm not mistaken, the first Shomer Shabbos mayor in America. What city was he the mayor of, and how did he get that job?
0: So he was born in 1936, and in 1967, he ran for city councilman. He served there till 71, and 71 he was appointed judge. And then in 1981, he ran for mayor of Miami Beach, and he beat the incumbent, and he served for two years. Uh, I know that he visited Menachem Begin a day before he went into Lebanon, which was pretty exciting because you'd never know it from the meeting they had. In terms of his day-to-day work, the things that he's prominently known for, aside from reducing crime was lifting the moratorium, which was a law that wouldn't allow development in Miami Beach, South Beach specifically. And then he also built the Erev and a boardwalk, which increased tourism exponentially.
1: You wrote an article about him for the Jewish press a number of years ago in which you shared, I thought it was a very interesting story, I believe, dating from his days in law school. Am sharing it?
0: Sure. My father was in college in the early 60s. In law school, not a good student, barely getting by. First, they curb all the grades because the uh, genius dean at the time decided he wanted to turn it into a very Ivy League type of exclusive school, and that meant failing everyone and curbing the grades. Long story short, they said he was getting thrown out of school, and one of his professors stuck up for him and said, You know, it's not fair that you're doing this. All right, fine, we'll let him stay. A week later, or not very soon thereafter, the professor told him that you're going to have your final, but it's on Saturday. So my dad, he wasn't going to take a test on Shabbat. And when he told the professor that, he hit the roof. And he says, absolutely, you can take it. Don't give me that. So my father went to different rabbis and got notes saying he can't write on the Sabbath. So one of the professors said, I will see you at my house Sunday morning, 9 o'clock. Now... If a teacher doesn't like you, that's bad. If you're a bad student, that's even worse. If you're disturbing them on a Sunday because you're going up against them, they're going to scrutinize the living daylights out of you. What are the chances that you're going to get a good grade? He walks in. He's so nervous. Starts taking. But he notices on the mantle there's a picture of a rabbi. He knows his professor's Catholic. He's like, what is with that rabbi? I mean, I think it's a rabbi. So the professor goes, I noticed you were looking at that picture that's my grandfather. He was a rabbi. He was a very holy man. My dad's like, what do you mean a rabbi? What, what's going on here? The guy must have been a Marano or a convert. He didn't know, whatever. So my dad didn't say anything. And the guy goes, take those tests. Good luck. And he walked out. And when my father was done three hours later with the tests, he didn't even look at it. He wrote A plus on both tests. Now my dad told me, it's very likely I probably would have just failed. What are the chances that he would do that for me? And because of that, my father... Graduated law school, Baruch Hashem, and eventually he not only became commissioner mayor, but he also built the first eruv in Miami Beach, which they still have. And uh, I would say that a ton of people are keeping Shabbos because of my father.
1: You, as far as I know, you grew up kind of a regular non-Orthodox background. And now today you're going around the country lecturing to non-Orthodox kids and trying to inspire them to be more Jewish than they otherwise would be. You're a businessman, I think. But you're just kind of your regular, normal balabas. And now you're like an inspirational speaker. How did you go from point A to point B?
0: When I went to Israel, when I turned 18, I started noticing there was a major difference between the way I grew up, which still had its shtick, but we were pretty clear about certain things. And then I would see other people who would flip on a light on Chavez, You know, and okay, fine, dating, I get it. People would run around. But I just realized there's just something wrong here. This doesn't seem right. And why am I so strict about this? But like, I don't dive in this thing called mincha. Like, why don't I do that? Why don't I do Mara? Why don't I wear sithis? Why don't I wash before I eat bread? Why don't I make kirkat What's wrong with me? Why am I not like that? And I started asking questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? How do I know that God wrote the Torah? What happens when we die? What about religious people who purport to be honest, purport to be good, and yet they're not ethical people? And what is the point of depression and, you know, all these different things that we all think about that they don't teach in Jewish day school. And I started compiling data and interviewing people and talking to people. And the main thing that I found out was that most people don't believe that that they're not observant, I should say. Because remember, you you have an attrition rate in the modern Orthodox community of about 35 to 50%. Latest Pew poll from, I think, a year or two ago. One-third of all modern Orthodox children do not consider themselves modern Orthodox. They consider themselves, if anything, open Orthodox, which is to say they reinterpret certain laws. We call it conservative Judaism, but nevertheless, we all know the truth. If you don't accept Halakha Lema if you don't accept the 613 with all the psakim that come out from the Rov, from Das Torah, from Chazal, and you don't accept the Mepharshim, well, Maimonides tells you in his, you know, uh, at the end of the davening, you have the attributes of Maimonides, and he tells you, a person that doesn't accept Chazal, they don't have a share in the world to come. And yet, how many people simply ignore laws who wear yarmulke in the modern Orthodox community because they've worked it out? And I decided I didn't want to be that way. So if a person here's what I write and feels offended by it. It's simply because they're either ignorant or they're hypocrites. The worst that I'll get is like some people will say to me, Avi, why do you have to be so preachy and mention about texting on Shabbos? I'm like, because you probably shouldn't do it. What do you mean me? I didn't make up these laws. Avi, why do you have to say that it's wrong to be gay? We understand it, but you don't have to talk about it. I go, well, the problem is, is that I went to a from guy's house and he had a, a gay pride yarmulke, which means he's promoting something that's forbidden in the Torah and under the classification of Arias, of abomination. I'm not the extremist. I didn't write the laws. The Lord wrote the laws. The fact that we want to change them depending on what generation we're in or depending on what social pressures we're under, that has nothing to do with Torah Judaism. And that's why the right-wing world of orthodoxy is not getting any weaker. It's getting stronger. The only ones that are having a problem are the people that are walking the line. They're on a fulcrum and they're playing a game because they're dancing at two parties. So what I do is I lay it out. And you as Editor, my mentor, you saw the kind of articles that I wrote We share each other 's hushkafa. in fact that 's why I quoted you in my book Thank you you remember I appreciate it remember the quote Yes, I do okay. thank
1: you, but you know it 's interesting. my mother says sometimes also my mother 's an inspirational speaker she used to be an NBC producer back in the day, not from became from later in life one of her refrains is, well, I'm putting this word in her mouth, but she basically says this. this is, you know, Groucho Marx's line, I refuse to belong to any club that would have me as a member. Meaning if you make Judaism easier and weaker, you don't attract people. You attract them by raising the bar, not by lowering the bar. Uh, if you want to join something which is like special, which, which is almost exclusive.
0: A hundred percent. I couldn't agree more.
1: All right, I don't know if this is public or not. I don't remember when you told this to me if it was a private email or not. We can edit this out if, if it was private. I don't remember. But if, as far as I recall, there was like something that happened in your personal life that pushed you to this direction a little bit because like, you had like a, a singing career on the side and you had problems with your
0: voice. What happened was, and it, huskuffically, that kind of makes sense. You know, it's very easy to see God when things are not doing well, when things are going well and you don't have a problem. Like Billy Joel or Elton John, they ask them, do you believe in God? They're like, "Nah, I mean, you know, if he's there, it's fine. Right, because you guys have a great career, millions of fans, millions of dollars. Everything that you want is provided for you. Your voice still works in your 70s. So you don't care. I get it. A lot of times, even us in our service towards got Baruch Hu, we lose sight. And I was singing and I didn't think about it. And one day I lost my voice. And when you lose your voice and you're a singer... God willing, I'll be singing uh, in Turnberry for uh, the Lascaux getaways for Passover. So anyway, I'm singing, I'm singing, and suddenly I lose it. And I'm like, oh, my God, I had a mid- I wouldn't say a midlife crisis. I had a crisis of my identity. I didn't know who I was. You know, when someone works at one job and then they lose that job or they quit that job and they have to rethink who they are, I had to really think who I was. And then I started going through, like, soul searching. I became very depressed. And I'm like, well, first of all, Avi, Hashem tells us in the Torah, he says to Moshe Rabbeinu, what do you mean you can't speak? You're worried about speaking? I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who created smart, not smart. So you don't have to worry about that. So I was thinking, if I lost my voice, God knows that. Okay, so to sit there and become depressed to the point where I just cry every day and don't want to leave my house, there's something wrong with me. Uh, Number two, I realized that if I lost that gift that God gave me, that must mean that I might have another gift. But I couldn't see that at the time. And that's when my wife came over to me and she's like, what else is that gift that you really think that you have inside of you that could come out to the world? I go, other than singing and maybe a little bit comedy, I, I can't think of it. As good, but didn't you want to be a rabbi? I go, a rabbi? Yeah, i have learning disabilities. I couldn't even get the smicha I can't understand Talmud. I can't be a rabbi. She's like, well, you're very passionate about Judaism. Maybe you could be like more of a preacher and more of an educator on a different level. You don't only have to learn Talmud and only be a rabbi to influence Jewish people. But I felt like a failure, so I just didn't do it. And then one day, I went to a Shabbaton, and I had been writing like little, like I'd be like, why are we created? Where are the miracles? Why can't we see them? And I would write these categories so that I would know how to talk about them, but not for any particular reason. I would write articles that I would submit to you, but I wasn't really doing anything beyond that. And one day I'm just like at the Shabbaton and I see these kids there and I start talking to them. And before I know it, they're like lining up to talk to me. And my daughter's like, daddy, you're really good at this. They all, cause I'm also a psychology major and I do a little counseling. And I said, you know what? I'm going to give a speech at the high school. I'm going to speak at the shul. And I spoke about 20 times, obviously, maybe not more than five people in the audience, but sometimes 20 people. And it doesn't matter how many people are in the audience. You saw me speak at, at YU. They were supposed to have this big book fair. And I had a, right. not even 10 people there in that huge room. How could that be? But if you notice, my the way that I spoke is the way I speak to you and your audience now. I don't care if it's one person that I'm connecting with. I'm speaking MS. And if you want to take and learn from me, you're lucky. And if you ignore me, no problem. Get on with your life. It's working for Billy Joel. It's working for Elder John. The only problem with those two clowns, and I love them, is that, you know, eventually they're going to cross over. And Akadosh sparkle is going to stand up in front of them and say, like, guys, like, I-, I know you were really busy and you couldn't leave a Torah dick of life. But how about acknowledging me throughout your entire 75 years? Didn't you see that it was something beyond you? Even if you went to church or you went to a, a you know, a Mosque, I don't know, or even if you went nowhere and you just were like Sheva Mitzvah Bnei Noach. anything. The fact that they can't do that to me, eh, all the money in the world, I wouldn't trade to have. I'd rather be not a successful singer and sitting here spending the evening with, even if it was just you talking. Ms. We're communicating something that is from God that we know is Ms. Moshe Ms. Vaserasol Ms. Of course, I'd love to sing only the good die young, but but that only goes so far. Where are you going next, Billy? Because at a certain point, look at Celine Dion. She was in the Grammys last night. She couldn't sing. She made a presentation telling everyone, I can no longer sing. I have a disease. It's over for me. I don't even think she's over 55. So if she doesn't believe in something supernatural, if you and I don't believe in something beyond our jobs, we're in trouble.
1: How's your voice now, by the
0: way? I just recorded tonight. I am extremely grateful. And it was a four-year journey. And I'm extremely grateful to God.
1: Baruch Hashem, uh, you had a campaign, maybe you still have a campaign against speaking in shul. Do you mind talking about that a
0: little bit? Sure. That was for selfish purposes. I have a beautiful son who had some health challenges. And I wanted to turn the odds in every way into my favor. That meant getting brachas from God, from rabbis, learning more, not looking at impure things. I would sometimes, if I saw a pretty girl on the Internet, I would look at her. Not to be inappropriate, just I'm a boy. No, I'm a married boy, married to God or my wife. I don't do that anymore. That's out. And then one of the things that I started doing was I came across a quote that said that when you talk in shul, it's like you're putting static between you and Hashem. And if you think about it logically, would you go to an interview and talk or take a call and have a conversation with someone in front of the guy interviewing you? How much more so a Kaddish Baruch Hu, who's the one that set up your interview? craziness. So that's the interview of interviews. I changed my attitude. And the other thing I realized is like, why would I kill, it says, if you talk during Shemona Esrei, during Kaddish, Kedusha, Chazor Sashatz or Laning, you're literally hurting your mazal. So for selfish purposes, I stopped. And the truth be told, I'm much happier. Sometimes if I need to take a break for a minute or two, just take a breather, I'll go, hey, how you guys doing? Shabbat Shalom, good jobs, whatever. And then I'll hop back in. I try not to do it, but once in a while, just I get antsy. But it's better than sitting in shul and disturbing your mazel and other people.
1: Right. I like some of your material that you write, because basically you treat Judaism as if it's actually real, and the, the facts that exist in the Torah are actually real. So I like, was once listening to well-known Yitzchak, you know, uh-huh. popular rabbi in Israel. He also, he treats things very down to earth. He'll say something like, how could you daven, you know, if you're a chassid, daven, you're davening shakras at 1130. He's Like, imagine you come to work at 1130. It's like the day starts, God's waiting for you, and you show up five hours later. Take it or leave it, but I like the fact that He treats it for real. God exists; He's really there. He really asks you to dive in. So, like you're saying, God really asks you to dive into Him, and if He's there in the show listening to you, you're just going to start speaking to your neighbor. I mean, if you really believe what we learn, it's a whole different story. I think a lot of us are like we we forget what we actually learn.
0: The guy that sits in shul talking to his friend, he'd like to believe God's there, but he doesn't really think about it. He figures, I said a couple of the Hebrew things, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, hope you appreciate it. I want to go to the kiddish Club and I'll get trashed with a couple of my friends. I'll be back, though. As opposed to, Akadosh Baruch Hu, thank you so much for letting me talk to you. I can't even talk to the president, but I can talk to you. I'm so lucky, Lord. Thank you so much. I honor you, Lord. I can't believe that you would even let me speak with you. Thank you for giving me these words with these holy rabbis, with their Ruach HaKodesh, and with their understanding of your essence, certainly more than us, that they can transmit these words so that we can connect with you. And Lord, while we're at it, not only am I thanking you that I get to praise you, thank you for giving me vocal cords that work. I've heard people dominating you like this. And you feel bad for them. Or a lot of (coughs) times, you know, those people, And you're like, geez, that's so rough. No, I'm able to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, and Lord, not only do I get to thank you for stuff, but I also get to ask you for stuff. Please give me bracha, my children, a spouse, nice parents, good health, parnasa, success, inner happiness, uh, an effect on the world. There's so much that true tefillah opens the world to and gratitude. Thank you so much because you start saying, Hashem, thank you so much. I'm nothing. Thank you. Thank you Hashem for having me us a deen and meet us What a schuss. Imagine if you just ran the world like a businessman. I am a robot. I am Steve Jobs. I am mean to people. I don't care what they think. This is a business. We follow a model. Hello? You wouldn't get anything off the ground that way. The world never could have been created. Comes a Baruch and says, I can do that better than you, but I also do midas harachamim. That's why I'm the Lord and you work under me. Follow me. Be firm, but have a heart. Use your seichel, but use your heart. Put your tefillin towards your heart, but also put the tefillin between your eyes. It's the same synthesis. That's all it is.
1: I want to combine two questions in one because you speak at many non-Orthodox schools and you also wrote an article like maybe five years ago about texting on Shabbos. Apparently this is a problem in non-Orthodox communities where some teenagers text in, the, I don't know, in the privacy of the room or something. They, maybe they don't think it's a big deal. So if you could address that issue, but also in general, what do you say to these non-Orthodox kids when you speak in these schools?
0: What's your message to them? What I tell them is, guys, we all know the story, the parable of the thief who's going into the shul. And he wants to steal something. And he looks inside and he's like, oh, I can't steal anything here. It's a, it's a chandelier. It's so obvious. The crystals. The safer total with the silver. They're going to know. The paroket. They're going to know. that I'm going to go in the attic. So he goes up into the attic. And he starts feeling around. and he th- Oh, he feels a hexagonal screw. He says, you know, I'm going to unscrew this. And I'll probably get 10 rubles for it. But so what? I'll be able to make at least a sandwich and eat for the day. Not too bad. So he pulls out his tools, Ugh! he starts turning, and he hears a loud crash. He's like, oh my God, what happened? He doesn't know. He puts the screw in his pocket and he runs away as he's leaving the shul. He sees through the window, that little screw was holding up the huge chandelier that he didn't want to steal. Sometimes the small things are holding up some things that are much more valuable. And that is what the Torah is trying to convey when it says to keep the Shabbos. It gives you many reasons to keep the Shabbos. It says keep the Shabbos because six days I worked on the seventh day I rested. But it also says keep Shabbos because I took you out of Egypt. But it also says to keep Shabbos so I will know it will be a sign between me and you throughout the generations. So which one is it? Answer all three. Hashem is telling you, I want you to keep Shabbos because just like I worked for six days on the seventh day I rested, so too. A man who does art, Rav Soloveitchik always says, he does his art and then he steps back and he looks at it. You can't assess the art when you're standing in front of it. Hashem gives you Shabbos to stop producing. Don't write. Don't draw. Don't turn on televisions. Don't text. Don't do any of those things. Just relax and take in the day. Take in the kedusha of the day. The food, the davening, the schmoozing, the sleeping. It's wonderful. Number two, it's not enough just to serve Shabbos and to sleep all day. I took you out not for six days, seven days to rest, but also because I took energy. I mean, there's a purpose to why I took you out. Learn Torah. Grow. Make a change onto the world. And how do we solidify this relationship with God? Through the third reason that we keep Shabbos. So it will be a sign between me and you throughout the generations. What greater sign is there than when a Jew says, I will not work on Shabbos! And Lefum Sarah Agra, we know the stories. Of course, one of the stories that I'm proud of, my grandmother, God bless her, my father's mother, Regina, she would always get fired every Friday because she wouldn't come back to work on Monday. No problem. She pulled it off, put that lesson into my father's head where he reached epic heights all because he honored the Shabbos. There's nothing to talk about. So I with no doubt know that when a kid texts on Shabbos, he is doing damage that he does not see similar to when you go to an x-ray machine and you stick your hand in, you know, in the 1920s, 1930s, people would go to the pharmacy, the shoe store, and they would stick their feet with the new shoes and they would see where their foot lied in relationship to the shoe. And that's how they knew whether it was a good shoe or not. Problem was everyone was dying of gamma rays. They didn't know that then. So, Sometimes you do things that you cannot see the damage, but that doesn't mean that it isn't causing the damage. When you text on Shabbos, it doesn't seem like a big deal. Turning on a light, even eating some shrimp, I feel great, I have a lot of energy, high in protein. Yes, but what about the spiritual damage? Just like you have cancer, it caused damage to your body through things that you never, radiation, that toxicity you didn't know about. How much more so when you're putting something that Hashem is telling you in the Torah, it's poisonous. And the very proof of that is pig, trignosis. They never even realized, or my friend Mark, he got very ill because he had bacon, no, he had a, a seafood, and apparently his throat started closing up. I said, Mark, don't you see? how Shem is telling you, not only is it bad for you spiritually, but in your case, it's even bad for you physically. So that's why I say laws like Shabbat and all these things that people treat lightly, in the end, it's what preserves us.
1: You grew up modern Orthodox, so you probably have an insight about why these kids maybe are not as observant or even eventually not observant at all. What do you think is the key or one or two key components that makes these kids not take Jews as seriously as they're supposed to?
0: Ah, great question. So the first thing is priorities. They look at their parents who are in the kiddish club that might be texting or not davening or talking the whole time. If they even go to Minyan, they don't make brachas. So the kids pick up on it. Oh, you don't do that? You don't do Mincha? Oh, you don't do this? I'm not going to put on my tefillin. That's the first thing, priorities. Number two, the kids don't really believe that Hashem wrote the Torah. They don't really believe that Hashem sees everything they're doing. They don't really believe that the rabbis are transmitting something that is so important, so critical. They don't really believe that. Aside from that, uh, pick and choose Judaism. That's how I grew up. Oh, you don't have to do this, but you do have to do that. Really? Well, I don't want to do this, but I definitely want to do that. So I just saw the, the fallacy, and I felt that you get in your relationship with God... you put into it. So if you want to float through life and just, you know, take what you can and just say, oh, thank you, God. I had a girl friend and she was a girl that was a friend that always, whenever she went through a light that was almost red, she would go, thank you, God. And she would kiss the ceiling. But that was the extent of her service to religion. She wasn't interested. She carried on with men. She had no religion. She married out of the faith because her religion was based on what seemed to be to her a really nice gesture. Thank you, God. I through, I'm not do what I like. Thank you, God. I'm like, going to need to do a little more than that. Even the Shabbat mitzvahs been I know I require a little bit more than, thank you, God. So that's how I came to where I am.
1: How do you get all these kids who are not believing necessarily that the God wrote the Torah or that God sees what they do? Shouldn't that come with their mother's milk growing up and, you know, home and at school and everything?
0: A lot of the schools, I'm not going to mention their names. I have a Shabbos book that I go called, Why Shabbos? I give it out for free. Ten miracles of Shabbos that happen to people. And half the schools don't want it. Why? Why would you not want it? Because the parents don't keep Shabbos. So now I'm causing conflict. Kid comes home with to Daddy and says, Daddy, look, why aren't we keeping Shabbos? Why are you working on Shabbos? A man with integrity and for similitude will say, son, you're right. I'm paying this money. You're teaching me something. I'm going to change. And in fact, I have a friend that did that and he became extremely successful. And all of his grandchildren are from over 50 of them. Remarkable man. That happened like 50 years ago. His son saw him leaving his house through the window after lunch or during lunch, I should say, and said, hey, Mommy, where's Daddy going every week? She's like, well, he has to go to work. He's like. What do you mean? We go to Hebrew Academy they tell us it's Shabbos. So they told the father, and he never worked again, 50 years.
1: Wow. So the solution, in short, is education or, and consistency, I suppose?
0: Parents prioritizing what is really important, telling your kids, look, I want you to get into a good college. I want you to get A's. I want you to be a rich doctor, lawyer, accountant, etc." cetera but not at the expense of your Kedusha, not at the expense of you breaking Shabbos and going to fraternities and sororities and being a man whore. That's not what I created you for. I don't want you to do that, but it's very hard. The second thing, keep them in a good environment. Don't let them go bet. Three, if they're in a modern day school, don't expect the school to instill them with from values. They're just going to educate them. If you want to get something beyond that, then you have to make the investment. Show it to your kids that it's important to you and that it's important that they are from more than anything else. I've asked many modern Orthodox mothers, do you care if you break Shabbos? He either will be a rich lawyer, but he has to break Shabbos to get there, and then eventually he'll keep Shabbos, or he'll just be a school teacher, but he'll always keep Shabbos strictly. Most modern Orthodox mothers that I've met, they prefer not to answer the question. We know what that means.
1: Yeah. I don't want to end on a sad note, but I think
0: from the... You know what? Modern orthodoxy, the failure, the dwindling numbers, and you know I wrote that three-parter, the modern orthodox conundrum. I write it with sadness because I hate to see one... I walked to Shul this Shabbos, and I always do this because I'm a glutton for punishment. And I see a 15-year-old kid, and I, you know, very quickly just go, Hey, how are you? Nice to see you. I go, listen, uh, I lecture, I speak all over the world, so I'm going to ask you a couple of weird questions. I don't know you, and you don't have to feel uncomfortable. You can just tell me the truth. It doesn't matter what you say. So I'll ask them some dumb questions. I'm like, do you have any good rabbis? I try to get them off guard. I trick them. (laughs) About four questions, I'll go, by the way, totally off-the-wall question. Do you believe 100% that God wrote the Torah? Or is it like maybe rabbis wrote it, you're not sure? And they just stare at me, or they'll say... Uh, yeah, well, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure. That in and of itself proves to you why you have a 35% dwindling rate of, of observance. Why? Because if you don't believe that God really said that you have to not wear shotness and that jacket costs 400 bucks and you got it for 50 bucks and it's got shotness and it looks the cat's meow, then why wouldn't you wear it? Oh, because God told you to. Oh, God. All right. That's one thing. Well, no, maybe rabbis interpreted that way. Oh, rabbi, give me the jacket. Right. So you have to believe why. Why not? I'll tell you why. Because every time I walk into a kosher restaurant and I pay $35 for a really decent burger, and now they're going up to 50 or 60 in New York, and I pass by a trafe place and I'm like, what? nine ninety nine? <laughs> and that includes a burger and a down payment on a house? Oh my God, what am I doing? So you realize that you're only doing it because you know it's the right thing to do and you only know it's the right thing to do if you believe that Hashem told you and you only believe Hashem told you if you believe he wrote it. So that's why I want to get right into the base and say, look, Either Hashem wrote it or he didn't. If he didn't write it, then you're right. You can't wear a gay yarmulke. There's nothing wrong with that because there's nothing really wrong with being gay. Because after all, we're all friends. But also, there's really nothing wrong with eating shellfish, provided that it's certain shellfish. No, no, no. Either it's right or it's wrong. Either he wrote it or he didn't. There's no... And and unfortunately, I know it's hard because in the modern world, when you're dealing with issues like homosexuality, which is very painful... I have a relative who is gay. He is a wonderful contribution to society. He's a beautiful person. But the act of what he does, I don't approve. And the Torah doesn't approve. In fact, who cares what I think? I'm just a simple person. Why would anyone care? One of the problems you have in society today is that all of the, let's say, woke people want me to change. I don't have to change anything. It's bad enough that you're doing something that you shouldn't do. Just keep it on your end of the the curtain. You don't have to bring me into your party. Uh, Guess what? I'm not asking you to fast on Yom Kippur. I'm not asking you to put a shapebill on your wife's head. This is what I do. And you're free not to do it. And guess what? If you're Jewish and you don't do it, I still love you. It's okay. And if you're Jewish and you're gay, I still love you. It's okay. But don't tell me that I have to say that what you're doing is okay. I cannot do that. And guess what? If I ran with a non-Jewish girl... No matter how mean my first wife, God forbid, would be to me, and this girl's so nice, and she does chesed, and and she's kind, and you can tell me all those things, what I'm doing is still wrong. Sorry, I can accept it. But you know what? I don't care what you think. If I want that, that's what I'm going to do. But I'm not going to tell you how it's going to be, so please don't do that to me.
1: That's how I feel. Rav Shem Hirsch writes in one of his essays, he says, the, everything comes down to the one sentence and God spoke to Moshe saying. He said that that puzzle appears several dozen times in the Chumash. He said either that sentence is true or it's not true. He said if it's not true, drop the entire thing. There's no reason for us to be different than anybody else. But if it is true, things follow from
0: that, you know. Beautifully said. Yeah. Um, where can people get your book if they want to read it? Oh, you're so nice. It's on Amazon. Real questions, real answers. And, uh, you know, I speak. You can always um, look me up. I'm on avitalks.com. And uh, I'm available. I'm around. I'm not a big celebrity.
1: <laughs> well, it's a real pleasure and honor meeting you over the uh, screen. Oh, it's actually, we met in person last year. What am I saying?
0: You're unbelievable. You've done nah. so much. Thank you. I love your articles. I read them when you send them to me every week. You have great podcasts. You have a great hush in the community. And I pray that you will continue to do the great work that you're doing.
1: Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And the same to you. All right. That does it for us. If you like this podcast, please consider subscribing to it and giving it a good rating and a nice review if you're so inclined. I hope you enjoyed the episode and have a great day or a great night, depending on when you're listening to this podcast.